It's Mindset Monday, coming at you with energetic and tactical tips to help you level up your life and your week. Let's get it. Did you know we're in the midst of the Great Resignation? 4.3 million Americans left their jobs in August without seeking a new one. If you want to become a corporate dropout like me, but you need help creating an exit plan, I can help. Whether you need corporate exit coaching, business coaching, or you're seeking help to step into the best version of yourself, I'd love to connect with you. Listeners of the Corporate Dropout Podcast can book a complimentary discovery call with me. Visit alasiacitro.com slash dropout. That's A-L-E-S-S-I-A-C-I-T-R-O dot com slash dropout to book your free coaching call today. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Corporate Dropout Podcast. Today is part three of our Money Mindset Monday series. Today, we're going to talk about that Jerry Maguire moment of show me the money. So today will be all about how you can bring on the riches and step into your birthright of abundance. If you have not listened to parts one and two, highly encourage you to listen to those first because you'll get a lot more out of today's episode. So what we're going to cover today is really how you can be your own best hype girl or hype man. How can you increase your level of self-worth and self-confidence, set attainable goals that can be met, and how do you shift from scarcity to abundant thinking? So with that said, let's start first with how we can shift our thoughts and our language from those of scarcity to those of abundance, because our self-talk and our thoughts are really important. So the first example of a scarcity thought is to say something like, this is what I have and it's not enough. If we are living in abundance, we would instead think, this is what I have, it's enough, and I am available for more. The key to manifestation, folks, be open to everything and attached to nothing. We are attached to no outcome. Once we relinquish our commitment to particular outcomes and we don't worry about the how and controlling things, that's where the magic happens. And the other key is that we are grateful for all of it, what we have now and what we desire as if we already had it. Very, very key. Another scarcity thought is I can't afford that. If we think abundantly, we say, I will find a way to pay for it. When we think in scarcity and live in that mindset, we deny our desire for more. This might sound an awful lot like, oh, I'm just content with what I have. Well, you know, we should be content with what we have, but it's unnatural and unreasonable to deny the fact that we do have desires for more. So abundantly, if we think that way, we know desiring for more is human nature. We were quite literally created to come to this earth and have continuous desire so that we could move the human race forward, right? So desiring and dreaming for more is encouraged, especially if it's not coming from this place of greed, which we've already talked about. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So having desires for more does not make you a greedy, selfish person. This is just head trash and crappy programming that we've all been conditioned with and need to shed. Okay, the next scarcity thought is that I don't have enough to give. When we think abundantly, we know we can be generous with a dollar, $10, $100. Whatever we have to give is enough and it matters. 
And the intention with which we give is really important too. If we're giving just because we think we should, which is a word I'm trying to eliminate from my vocabulary, that's not as meaningful as giving, you know, the last $10 that we might have in a bank account for a cause that we really care about because we know we can go make 10 more dollars, but maybe the person we're giving it to can't, right? Just as an example. Final scarcity thought. There's not enough to go around. When we think abundantly, we know that there is always enough. There is always a way and that the way will be made clear. And again, going back to what I had said just a moment ago, we're grateful for all of it as if we already have it. I want to reread a quote that I shared on part two because I think it's very appropriate for what we just covered. So this is an excerpt from the foreword of Creating Affluence by Deepak Chopra, one of my favorite books on manifestation and money mindset. So it says, wealth consciousness is so much more than simply having the ability to make money. It is a mindset that involves seeing life not as a struggle, but as a magical adventure where our needs are met with grace and ease. It includes the ability to see beauty wherever we go, to have gratitude as our primary emotion and an open heart to all we need. Wealth consciousness is a state of mind, a sense not of believing, but really knowing that what we need is available to us. So if we go back to that last piece on the abundance part, we know that there's always enough. There's always a way the way will be made clear and with grace and ease. There might be some bumps along the road, but in my opinion, bumps are only so that we can appreciate the peaks that come after the pits. So now let's talk about a hard truth. All of this is great, but if your self-worth is low, your net worth will be low too, because your net worth will never exceed your self-worth. So for example, let's say you've been making $50,000 a year and your self-worth is at a $50,000 level. You could go and start a company and make $2 million that next year. And if your self-worth didn't raise to match that, it stayed at $50,000, let's say, you're going to find a way to lose that delta. You're going to find a way to stay at 50000 because that is what you have set your thermostat at. So let's, let's go down this thermostat analogy for a second because I think it's so such a good visual and I'm a very visual person. So my favorite episode ever of the Ed Milet show is, I think it's like February of 2019. If you want to go back and listen to it, I'll link it in the show notes. He talks about controlling your identity to change your life. So how do you control your identity? Well, if your identity or thermostat is set at $50,000, we need to find a way to raise the setting. How do you do that? One way that you can do it is who you surround yourself with. So in this episode, Ed talks about that Jim Rohn quote that we all know, that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Ed makes the argument that you're actually, it kind of depends on the department of life, right? So if I want to increase the thermostat on my spiritual life. I'm going to hang around people who are more spiritual than me, that are in a Bible study, that are meditating every day, that are doing energy work and energy healing, that kind of stuff. If I want to raise my thermostat setting in entrepreneurship, I'm going to start hanging around people who are successful entrepreneurs and more successful than me. I am going to invest in a mastermind and hang around people that will help me do a quantum leap and level up my knowledge and skills so that my self-worth will follow. So, you know, the, the 
key with this, when we're talking about who we surround ourselves with, there's a great quote that you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. So if we're older and wiser, we know people only change when they want to and when they're ready. So rather than trying to do that and fit square pegs and round holes, instead change the circles that you're in to be people who are at a higher temperature that will in turn raise your thermostat setting too. Here's the other formula that we've got to follow and it's be, do, have. If you've heard of this already, it's always a good way, a good thing to revisit. If you haven't, this is so critical. Okay, so most people are living in the opposite order. They're doing everything by have, do, be. For example, once I have money, then I can do this mastermind and then I could be successful. Well, that isn't going to work out too well. Instead, we need to change our identity because it's what governs everything. It's the thermostat, again, as Ed says. So we need to decide who do we want to be? Do we want to be a millionaire? Do we want to be successful? Do we want to be generous? Do we want to have a wonderful family life? And then once we know what that identity that we desire looks like, we're going to fake it till we become it. And not even really fake it till we become it because we're going to do the actions, think the thoughts, have the self-talk that matches what a person of that identity would have, right? Do you think that millionaires and successful people are walking around telling themselves a bunch of negative shit all day? No, they're not. They're consuming different things than what people who are living in a life of scarcity are consuming. They're probably not watching a lot of TV. They're probably consuming podcasts, books, scripture, meditations. So whatever it is that we want to be, we need to do what the person would do. And that includes thinking, the way we talk to ourselves, self-care practices, all of that. And over time, we will have what the person that we're trying to be has, right? We'll have millions. We'll have successful enterprises. We'll have a happy family. But we got to identify as that person and then do the things that that person does. All right, the next thing we need to do is we need to move from reality thinking to possibility thinking. So when we are in reality thinking, we're thinking with our five senses. We're thinking according to our environment. But this lacks imagination and it pretty much ensures that both the present and the future will be a repeat of the past. If we keep telling ourselves the same old story or we keep identifying how we were in college or how we were in high school, well, guess what? The future is going to look a lot like how high school and college did. We've got to branch out. We've got to level up and imagine who it is that we want to be in the future so that we actually can do the things that will get us there. So when we move into possibility thinking, this is an imagined future to which you can be committed, says Dr. Serini Pillay. So it's believable, but it doesn't exist yet. And this creates an open template for your mind to architect a solution. So how does it do that? First, you're going to set a stretch goal. So this is something that is attainable and reasonable. So let's pretend that today you are homeless. You're living under a bridge. But your goal is to have a $40 million oceanfront mansion in Malibu. Well, that's probably too big of a jump. We need to have something that's more attainable. If it's that 
significant, you're almost certain to fail. And we're going to talk about why in a moment. So you create a stretch goal. So it's attainable. It's believable. Then you pair that with the belief that it can be achieved. And then the emotion that you'll have when it's met. So there's um, a book by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. It's another classic from the 60s. It's called Psycho-Cybernetics. And in that book, Dr. Maltz says, our subconscious mind does not know the difference between an imagined experience and a real one. So if you can envision when you achieve this goal, the feelings that you have, and then start to visualize it so vividly, like who's there with you? What are you wearing? What sounds do you hear? What music is playing? Is there anything that you smell? Many of you listening to this who know me well, you know that one day my goal is oceanfront property in Wailea in Maui. So if I am picturing my stretch goal for that, I can, I already have all the finishes of this house picked out. Like I can visualize the lanai as if I'm sitting there. I feel the warm sun on my skin. I feel the joy and the bliss as I sip a pog mimosa poolside with my children. And you know what? (laughs) That's going to make it a lot more likely to happen because my brain thinks that that is real because it cannot differentiate. So that's how we start to create goals that can be met. So what happens along the way to the goal? So there's tension that is in our brain when we haven't yet met it. And our brain wants to be whole. It doesn't like that tension. So there's three ways that we can go about relieving the tension. One is to introduce rewards along the way in the form of dopamine. So as you hit these little milestones, imagining perhaps the joy and the pride on your child's face when you share with them this goal that you reached. Or, you know, maybe it's even in the form of rewarding yourself with something monetary. Back when I was working, anytime I would close a big deal, I would go buy myself something that would signify that milestone. And those are many of my most prized possessions because there's so much pride attached to them. So that's a good way also to develop the neuroplasticity to continue achieving goals if you can introduce these dopamine hits in route to the goal. The other way you can relieve the tension is you reach the goal. And the third way might surprise you. The third way is to quit. Yeah, the third way to relieve the tension is to quit and stay the same. How many of us have done this? We're coming up on the new year. I have set so many New Year's resolutions that have not been met. And when I quit, it feels good to quit, at least initially. After that, you're going to end up despairing because now you're aware of the desire and you still didn't meet it. And if you do this too often, quitting is going to be your MO because that is the the neural pathway that you have carved out. But if we are conscious of this and we don't make the goals too big, this is why I said if you live under a bridge, you wouldn't want to have a goal of a $40 million mansion because are you going to have the grit to stick it out that long? Like that's going to be a long haul, right? So making the goals a lot smaller, still dream big and maybe have those visualizations, but set the goals a lot smaller so that you can stick with them much better. All right, the next thing, How do we build our faith and confidence? So there's a few ways to do this. One is to reference past success and times that you've overcome adversity. 
If you feel like you don't have a lot of past success to reference, one of the things that you could do is look at the adversity instead. And what did you learn from it? How can it propel you forward? It's all about reframing. Now, you know, I, um, (laughs) this might sound kind of strange, but I, I honestly get a little bit excited now when I have a hardship come my way. I mean, depending what it is, right. If it's, um, you know, something that's truly awful, then no, but you know, a little bump in the road here and there, I kind of like it because I know I'm going to learn something and it's going to make me level up. If you can have that kind of attitude when you hit these bumps in the road, it's really going to boost your confidence and it'll help you weather the situations too. Also, you to build faith and confidence, you want to use emotions and intuition to inform decisions. Because if you see yourself as a credible source, you can learn to trust yourself. Interestingly, people who have lower self-worth are less likely to use emotion for decisions because they have lost the trust in themselves. So kind of on the same note, Before I met Jeff, I had had a string of relationships that didn't work out. I talked about this on the episode where I share how I manifested him to become a Tinderella. And the way that I recreated that trust in myself was to think back when I had been making the decisions to go down the routes of these crappy relationships, there had always been that like that feeling in my gut that it wasn't the right thing. And so I actually went back to that to rebuild my trust. Like I knew each time that this wasn't right, but I did it anyway. And so if you feel like you have a bad track record, try to go back and remember, was there that feeling that you shouldn't be doing this? And that's a really good way to to help um, earn that self-trust back. Four ways to recharge your hope and belief in yourself is first, create awareness of what it is that you want. And then you need to find the why that makes you cry. It has to be bigger than just you. For me, it's, it's pretty selfless. I mean, yeah, I, like we talked about in part two, I know that wealth and rewards will always be proportionate to the level of value and impact that I'm making. So that's a byproduct, but really my why is the impact. Like I know that I was meant to help thousands and thousands and thousands of people remember who they are, return to greatness, and do what makes them fulfilled. I mean, I'm just starting out on that journey, but the why is so much bigger that like I have a Teflon suit on because I, I have such a strong why. You also wanna set small attainable goals like we talked about and then celebrate those small wins and steps along the way. When it comes to making personal change, You want to evaluate pros and cons. What are the pros of the change and what are the cons if you don't? Until the potential reward outweighs the potential pain, it's not going to be enough to change. And also, you know, here's the other thing too. Staying the same is a reasonable choice, perhaps, right? And by considering that reasonable, you actually have a better chance of changing because you're going to be less likely to do this spiral of self-loathing. But, you know, if you do run the pros and cons list and you decide that change is a positive, you need to decide. And interestingly, decide means to cut off. So you make the decision and you cut off everything from before. You're starting over new. And then you commit and you take sustained action. You keep going even when it's hard, even when you quote unquote fail. I love to share this fact. 
How many times did Thomas Edison try to invent the light bulb before he succeeded? And the answer to this always blows people's minds. So think of a number. How many times do you think Thomas Edison failed before successfully inventing the light bulb? Okay, have the number in your mind. The answer is 10,000 times. I'm going to level with y'all. I don't think I would have the grit to try something 10,000 times. <laughs> I guess it depends what it is. Going back to why you have to have a really big why, right? His why clearly was much bigger than 10,000 fail, oh, quote unquote failures, right? But he failed forward and he learned and eventually he, su- he succeeded. And man, aren't we glad that he did? So you decide and then you burn the ships. And we've talked about this quote many times on the show, but in case you're a new listener and you haven't heard of this, way, way, way back in the day, there were these warriors that were going to a foreign land to conquer them. And the commander, when they arrived on the shore, said, burn the ships. And they said, well, how will we get home? And the commander said, you either win or you die. And so they won. So that is the level of intensity that you have to have. And why, again, you need to have that pros and cons list and you need to have that why, because if it's just wishy-washy or eh, it might be kind of good, but I don't know, you're not going to be able to burn the ships and really go all out. So to close it up, we're going to talk about some of the steps that Napoleon Hill shares in his classic Think and Grow Rich on how to yield the riches that you desire. So the first thing is the awareness. The awareness that you want it, right? And then you need to turn that into a white, hot desire. You have to want it really bad. This isn't like a, oh, it could be nice. No, like I'm summoning ancestral stuff. I am summoning the collective of wanting to make the most of such a time as this. I mean, just the fact that we're all listening to this alive in the age of the internet in 2021 To whom much is given, much is required. Every single one of us that has an internet connection could be creating multiple businesses to create lots of value and hopefully generational wealth for our families and that could also bless other people. We're going to talk more about that on part four. So it's the awareness, the white hot desire, and then action. You need a plan and you need to be persistent. So when you're thinking about quitting, think about Tommy Edison again and the 10,000 light bulb attempts. So here are the six steps that Napoleon Hill lays out. So step one is, what is the exact amount of money you desire? Exact amount. Step two, exactly what do you intend to give in return for the money that you desire? So it's the product or service that you're providing. Three, what is the definite date by which you intend to possess the money? Literally have a date in mind. And then step four, you create a definite plan for carrying out your desire. So maybe this is a business plan, a go-to-market strategy, whatever it is, you create the plan. Step five, this is where it gets really good. You write out a clear, concise statement for the amount that you intend to acquire. You name the time limit for the acquisition. You state what you intend to give in return, and you describe clearly the plan through which you intend to accumulate it. Then you read the statement twice a day. This is step six. You read it once upon waking and once right before bed. And double underline this part. You are going to see and feel and believe yourself already in possession of the money. Literally as if you already have it. 
And again, why is this? Because Dr. Maltz told us the subconscious does not know the difference between imagined and real experiences. So if you can embody this with visuals, with feeling, and with the belief in yourself that you already accomplished this and you have gratitude as if you already did, get ready to blow that bank account up, y'all. So in closing, you are not the past. You are the present becoming the future. So whatever the old story is, whatever the old failures are, whatever shame and guilt you're carrying around, y'all remember that from part two? Shame and guilt, they are the lowest frequencies that you can have in terms of emotion. They are going to attract more scarcity and more lack in your life. So if you have shame, you have guilt, let it go. Forgive yourself. What happened before does not define you. It is part of the mess that will become your message, as my friend Sandy says. So remember, again, you are the, not the past. You are the present becoming the future. Whatever it is, if you can dream it, you can do it, truly. So in summary, up to this point, here's what we've talked about. One, abundance is our birthright. God wants us to be prosperous. It is our natural state. It's why we're here, to enjoy life, not endure it. And abundance is in the Bible 71 times. Next, we want to be the person that we want to be because identity is a thermostat. It governs everything. So fake it till you become it. Think the thoughts, do the things that that person you want to be does, and you will have what they have. Third, you want to recharge your confidence and self-belief, and your self-talk is extremely important. So start auditing what you say to yourself on a daily basis. Highly recommend the book Mirror Work by Louise Hay if you need to up that self-love quotient. And I am all about the affirmations. Bonus points if you do them in the mirror like Louise Hay would tell you to. Fourth, remember from part one, our brain is wired the way that it is to keep us alive, to protect us. With awareness and intention, we can make conscious choices that will change our wiring and change our neural plasticity. Our brains are not fixed. Next, use the law of attraction to your benefit, not your detriment. So what you focus on expands, focus on abundance, focus on what you want, not on what you want but don't have. If you focus on the lack of it, you're going to attract more lack. So instead, you envision yourself as if you're already in possession of these desires. The next is that limiting money beliefs will not stand up to logic. So if you haven't listened to part two, go back and listen to that. Any of these beliefs, if you actually test them with logic, they cannot stand up to scrutiny. So again, consciously rewiring our brains to undo this programming and conditioning. And then finally, the value of the service or product that you provide is what will reflect your net worth but your net worth cannot exceed your self-worth. So increasing our confidence is absolutely key and the world is counting on you. You are not here by accident. You're here to do big things. You're here to do epic shit, okay? So what we're gonna talk about next week in part four is stewardship. Once you have ushered in these riches, now what? What do you do with it? So we're going to talk all about that and using money as a force for good. So thank you all for listening today. I'll see you back next time. And I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. What you track grows. Grow what matters with the 90-day cycle to new habits journal and stay focused on what will move your business forward. Pick up your copy today at 90dayhabits.co and use code CITRO, that's C-I-T-R-O, for 10% off. 
Thank you so much for listening to the show. If today's episode added value to your life in some way, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share it with someone who needs this. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram and hear how the show has inspired you. So tag me or slide into the DMs. Find me at Corporate Dropout Official or Alessia Citro. That's A-L-E-S-S-I-A-C-I-T-R-O and two underscores. Until next time, remember that you're a badass, stay focused, stay hungry, and dare to drop out.